I can be a bit of an enthusiast. I, I love a lot of things. When I love something, I'm like all in. Uh, and there's really though a, a couple specific things that I love a whole lot. Um, I love my wife. She's my best friend. We've been married almost eight years. Uh, Jenny and I, we love adventure together. Uh, it's, uh, it's an incredible thing. I love my, my kids, my three-year-old named Jude, my two-year-old named Finley. I adore them. I even joke uh, so much to say I love changing their diapers when they were little. I love <laughs> everything they do, even if it's on accident. I, I love those things. Um, something else I love. I love sports. I love cheeseburgers. I love pizza. I love food. <laughs> when it comes down to these these things that I love, some of these things I would just really want, I would desire, it'd be great to have those things. Other things that I love, like my wife, my kids, I would give everything for. <laughs> In Western culture, we use this word love for everything. We explain the things that we uh, do in our hobbies as things that we love, that our family members we love, and we can say those in the same breath, but they, they mean something different for sure. And the emotion of love, it, it, it's something that actually can be a little bit difficult to explain. Uh, biblically speaking, this is what's great about the original language that, that the Bible was written in, in the New Testament and the Old Testament. They actually had different words for love. In the New Testament, uh, it was originally written in Koine Greek and some Aramaic, some Greek words uh, that specifically mean uh, different areas or different types of love. There's eros that means a sensual love or being filled with passion. There's stergo, which means cherish something or someone. There's phileo, which is like a brotherly love. There is agape, which is an unconditional love or a preference for someone's well-being. There's even uh, words in the Greek that mean hospitable warmth. That could be translated to love. In the Old Testament, and that's Genesis to Malachi, uh, there are Hebrew words that mean an embrace that could be uh, transition or translated to love. There's family love, merciful compassion. There's words for those. There's unconditional love in the Hebrew, grace, charm, marital, spouse, love. There's, there's all types of different words that explain that. But again, in Western culture, we just have this word love. <laughs> there has been a, a long-held assumption in psychology that most human emotions fall within the universal categories of happiness and joy, sadness, anger, surprise, fear, and disgust. Maybe you've seen the movie Inside Out with joy, anger, disgust, sadness. Say, But there's also a UC Berkeley study that challenges this. This is a study from a couple years ago where researchers identified actually 27 different categories of emotion and created a multi-dimensional uh, map that you can actually Google yourself and go look at uh, that actually shows how each one is kind of connected. And so just quickly, some of those 27 emotions are this in alphabetical order. There's admiration, adoration, aesthetic appreciation. There's amusement, anger, anxiety, awe, boredom. Boredom as an emotion, pretty interesting. Calmness, confusion, craving, disgust, empathic uh, pain, 
entrancement, excitement, fear, horror, interest, joy, nostalgia, nostalgia as an emotion, very interesting as well, relief, romance, sadness, satisfaction, sexual desire, surprise. This list of 27 emotions, it actually makes it even more difficult to explain love. It makes it even more convoluted. There's multiple realms, even in these 27 emotions that actually could be attached to love also, like, right? Admiration, adoration, appreciation, craving, entrancement, joy, romance, sexual desire, like all of those things could be translated to this emotion of love. And I'll even say this, there are other emotions like anger that's actually attached to love also. You're, if you have uh, more capacity to love, you actually have more capacity for wrath. We actually see that in God's character. The more you love something, when something is after it, you have a tendency to actually have maybe potentially uh, a righteous anger towards that thing that is encroaching. <laughs> and I'll say this, ultimately, when it comes down to scripture, when it comes down to the Bible, how we understand love, kind of even surpassing emotion, love is a choice. You choose to sacrifice. You choose to give yourself. So to help us understand this emotion of love, because we can have these, like I choose to love my wife, but when I saw my kids for the very first time when they were born, there was an emotion that was stirred in me to love them. This big idea that we're going to be looking at in this series uh, called Triggered is that we are looking at how God created emotions, how he himself has emotions. But it's actually for us through brokenness, through trauma, selfishness, uh, we've actually let emotions be distorted in us. And those emotions that were meant for something specific, we've twisted. And sometimes there is a negative uh, uh inverse to that emotion. We're looking at this big idea that in order to have spiritual maturity or spiritual health, uh, you must also have emotional health. And today we're talking about love, the emotion of love. Our big thought is love as the healthy emotion versus lust. Lust as uh, uh, maybe the distortion of love. And here's the big idea. Just I'm just going to be forthright. This is what we're going to be talking about. Instead of just aiming in one direction of all of those different aspects of love, we just talked about, we're just looking at this main idea of what love does and what lust does. Love gives, lust takes. And we're going to be in this book in the Bible called Hosea. Uh, it's in the Old Testament between Daniel and Joel. And this book is uh, 14 chapters long. And it's actually this guy, Hosea, who was a prophet in Israel. Uh, he was a prophet during the time where there was one of the worst kings ever in Israel's history, this guy named Jeroboam II. Uh, and this book is, is basically, it's a collection of some 25 years of Hosea's preaching and his writing, and it's almost all poetry. Uh, but specifically, there is a story within the first three chapters um, that tells of Hosea's uh, duty. Uh, every single time uh, a, a prophet would be called, uh, they would have some specific role, something 
to do. So let's start here in Hosea uh, chapter 1, verse 2, and let's see specifically what is Hosea's role. It says, When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. Yikes. Uh, that is a uh, specific role Hosea has. Uh, to go and marry, really kind of what this word can be translated, a, a, a woman that is unfaithful. A uh, woman of the night is uh, another term that other translations use. And so this is, uh, I imagine, something that is uh, a little difficult. <laughs> Uh, his call is to love this woman. And so again, love being a, a choice, uh, but still uh, the emotion and all of the things that, that, that are surrounding this uh, are really crucial, I think, for, for our, our, our study today. Um, verse three. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Deblaim, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. Now, if you think of marriage, uh, this thing, if you've ever been to a wedding, it doesn't matter if you're not married or not, like you've probably been to a wedding or seen a wedding, it's a celebration. In, in this specific culture, they would have taken like an entire week for like a festival and like a, a, uh, the festivities that are, that are in this, this, this marriage celebration. It would have been so unbelievably exciting. And, and I'm sure you've probably um, seen people that have had children, if you have your own children, it's really, really exciting when those types of things, those big life phase things happen and, and a family grows. And so for Hosea and his call to marry this woman, Gomer, and then they start having kids, that would have been something incredibly exciting. Uh, just to paraphrase is it continues to explain the life of Hosea um, Gomer becomes pregnant again with a second child, and it's a daughter this time. Their second child is this daughter, and they're naming each child specifically for uh, specific names that would be uh, a message to Israel. And then she gets pregnant again, and she has a third child, which is their second boy. Uh, and the difficulty in this text is really reading between the lines and some of the ways that, that is, this is portrayed and even Hosea's call to marry a prostitute so that children would be born in prostitution. Uh, it's very uh, um, looked at from scholars, from theologians that Hosea's first child was his, uh, Gomer's second child and their third child was not Hosea's. So already right off the bat, this could be triggering some emotions. If you've uh, ever been a part of or ever known those that have had broken relationships, adultery, cheating, those are never going to be easy things to, uh, to navigate. Um, but again, Hosea's call was specific and very uh, uh, um, focused into love Gomer. In chapter two, the story continues uh, and 
long story short, Hosea wakes up one morning and Gomer's not there. Uh, she has left. She leaves. And, and just to kind of map this out, you just again, just uh, imagining uh, the emotional side that is, is, is on this. This is, this is just high-level brokenness. Hosea with three kids, um, being probably one of the most popular men in all of Israel, being a prophet, has now just lost his wife. She's left. What is Hosea probably thinking about those that are on looking? What, what is he thinking about his role in to, to love her even it, whenever she's, she's gone? Like, what, what's, what's, what's he going to do? And we pick up the story again in, in Hosea 3 for God's response and what Hosea is to do. It says this, Then the Lord said to me, said to Hosea, Go and love your wife again. Even though she commits adultery with another lover, this will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. This is, this is wild to think about. Like, again, the call that, that Hosea has is to, is to go in love. And then there it is again, go in love. And so just to really map this out again, just to understand the story here, uh, Gomer is gone. Hosea is here. He has no idea where she is. So what this took for him to go and find her was literally to leave his house, probably go to the different places that uh, Hosea probably wasn't hanging out in, if you know what I'm saying, and and go try to find her. And then finally, eventually, he found her in a place that was selling her. Whatever uh, individual she left with to go be with didn't want her anymore and then just tried to start selling her back into this life, into this slavery. Uh, and so... Hosea walks in and sees his wife on a slab uh, going to the highest bidder or going for a price. And you can just imagine again uh, Hosea in his, hey, 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 this, this is, this is my, my wife. And then somebody who's in charge of the balancer just say, whoa, no, 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 no. Uh, if you want her, you're going to have to pay for her. And again, thinking about this from an emotional standpoint and thinking about this from just like the, the context of, of, of the covenant of marriage, like they were each other's, right? Like Hosea and Gomer and the, this beautiful covenant of marriage, like there is beauty there. And for someone to tell Hosea, no, 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 you can't have her. This is the price. Hosea says in verse two, how much? He says, so I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. Whatever it, it took, uh, Hosea was going to get his wife back. <laughs> and this story is, is, it's ups and downs. It's, it's roller coasters. And again, just really trying to think of you know, what would, what would I do in this circumstance, in this situation? It, it is, this is just, High-level broken world. And so this idea, again, love is giving, lust is taking. We see this real representation of love in Hosea, and we see this 
very clear representation of lust in Gomer. Lust is, in other words, um, idolatry. It's the things that we kind of place as idols in our life that maybe we give our worship or maybe we give our, our full attention at the expense of the things that actually we should be prioritizing. In the Bible, lust is depicted as idolatry a whole bunch. Uh, because it replaces God with something else. In Colossians 3.5, it says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and covetousness, which are idolatry. They're, these things are idols. A young Bible scholar says this. He says, In the Old Testament, the word lust is primarily used to describe idolatrous activities. Although it does have sexual concerns in at least two instances, which is Job 31 and Proverbs 6, in both, the context is negative and meaning pointing to idolatry. The lust involves the realm of having idols. And so the question that I'll ask you, uh, what are the things in your life that you say that you love but are those things actually that you're constantly looking to take? What are those things in your life that you love that you're consistently giving and giving? These are the ways that we can really start to map out what are the idols in our life? What are the things that like I am giving this real love or what are these things that I am actually very much <laughs> focused towards lusting after these things? Where does lust take you? When the story of Hosea and Gomer, lust uh, for whatever Gomer thought was gonna give her life ended up leading her right back into slavery. Whatever she thought was, was, was worth forsaking these things where she was giving sacrificially for her kids, for her husband, uh, whatever she thought that she could get in this lust ended up just being fleeting, momentary, and actually ended up being uh, destruction. <laughs> so where does lust take you? Where is maybe lust taking you in your life? Think about it. Where are the things that you have just so desperately wanted that you would be willing to forsake anything that you have to be able to get it? What has, where has lust taken you? And then also, in the inverse, where has love taken you when you are able to uh, give yourself to something, give your, your time, your treasures, your talents to, to really truly sacrifice and uh, bring things to, uh, to an area to where you would uh, truly love those things? Where does love take you? It's a great question to ask. Well, if we can kind of really gather that our thoughts when it comes to love being something that you are giving and then lust being something that you are taking, we can probably really gather that uh, this lust thing can kind of be uh, an issue. And so what do we do with lust? How do we cure this thing of lust? What's the cure for lust? And I think it's more easily said than, than done, but it's maybe this one word. The, the cure for lust is perspective. Uh, the cure for 
uh, a desire in momentary uh, uh, things or, or idols that we go try to find life in dead places with, um, the key is having a bigger picture. It's perspective. And so for our, our time today, uh, uh, I think one of the best things that we can do to, again, continue to move towards being spiritually healthy uh, uh, is then also being emotionally healthy to continue to, to dive that direction. We can look at the ways uh, that we can focus on love and vacate lust. And there are three, three things that we're going to talk about today. Uh, the first thing, the first area and way that we can cure lust with perspective, number one, is to reflect on motives. The first thing to really be able to recognize is, am I, am I loving this thing or am I really lusting after this thing? Am I loving this thing and being able to uh, uh, give sacrifice or am I lusting after this thing where I'm forsaking everything else to be able to get it, uh, is to reflect on our motives. Whenever you're able to uh, uh, reflect on why it is that you are doing the things that you're doing, why it is that you are concentrated on the things that you are concentrating on, uh, that's constant reflection that's actually going to, again, give us perspective on the why. Psalm 139 is one of uh, uh, my favorite Psalms. Uh, Psalm 139, starting in verse 23, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Whenever we have this opportunity or this, this, uh, this uh, um, focus on being able to reflect on our motives, we're able to say, hey, God, search me. Hey, Lord, like whether you have a faith or not, you probably have uh, been in circumstances and situations where you just thought, man, I wish I would have thought this through a lot more. <laughs> I wish I would have really like, uh, uh, you know, a, a welcomed wise counsel for this decision I made that I ended up completely flubbing because I made it in, uh, in, in error. Um, whenever you reflect on your motives consistently, you're, you're conscious of why you are choosing the things that you're choosing. Um, you have this perspective, these moments of clarity. Uh, and in this instance, whenever we're aiming towards emotional uh, health, you can very clearly understand where are the areas that we are choosing the things because of insecurity or we're trying to find life in dead places. Reflect on your motives. Number two, number two thing that you can do uh, to continue to, again, try to identify love versus lust, to try to identify idols in your life and how that is, we're emotionally attached to those. Number two is to share your intentions. We talk about reflect on motives. And number two, share your intentions. This means being able to actively talk about these things with others, with how you have an intention. What are your intentions? Your motives and intentions are something that is actually pretty deep-rooted to be able to find out where it is that you actually have these specific desires that your emotions are attached to. 1 John 1, 6 through, 7, 6 through 7 says this, So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth, but if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Whenever you 
are sharing your intentions with trusted uh, a community um, with mentors in your life that are actually, you, you know, are tried and true, uh, wise, <laughs> you're able to be able, uh, you're able to uh, uh, really understand uh, what your intentions actually truly are. Because if you have bad intentions, you can be corrected on those things. Whenever you have these things in the light, as he is in the light, as as First John says, um, we can continue to know and, and live in the ways that are sacrificial love of what God is calling of us. Again, whether you have a faith or not, you understand that these things, uh, giving of our life is something absolutely beautiful. It's innate in us to, to desire those things. It is the flesh to want to take everything. It's these, these, this understanding of sin to no matter what to try to take. And so the number three. All right, number one was to reflect on motives. Number two was to share your intentions. Uh, the last thing we'll talk about today comes to the ways to, to be able to recognize love in your life or lust in your life and idols is to ask for forgiveness when you fail. When you miss it. When you have this lust or idols that have actually hurt others in your life the thing that can actually really refocus you, give perspective, is to own your wrong. It's to ask those that you've hurt for their forgiveness. And this takes, this takes, <laughs> this takes a lot. This takes boldness. This takes, uh, um, I mean, intentionality. It takes actually reflection and also communication. Um, it takes a whole lot, but what it really, really takes is humility. Love without humility uh, a lot of time is going to turn into lust. It's going to turn into idol worship. So the thing that we are consistently, you know, whenever we want to give, whenever we want to continue to, to, to sacrifice uh, for, for true love, it's going to take humility. In the story of Hosea and Gomer, the really interesting thing about this, this story and how it really kind of like speaks to like the innermost being of, of, of us is because this story of Hosea and Gomer, it's actually a beautiful picture of Jesus and us. If you've ever, if you heard this story and you automatically started thinking to yourself like, yeah, I'm the, I'm the Hosea in this story. Um, actually, in reality, we are all the Gomer in this story. We are all the ones that ran from God. Uh, God, in his beautiful pursuit of us, uh, he sent Jesus, our Hosea, to come after us because we were created by him for good things, but we, in our sin and our desire to worship anything other than God, ran from God. And where it took us, in our lusts, it took us to a slab in chains and chained by our, our sin. And what Jesus has done is he came to the auction. He came to the store of where we were being sold in our slavery, and he asked the question, how much? How much? I'll pay for it. And what Jesus has done for us is he paid the price so that we could be back with him in eternity. It's a beautiful picture. Uh, this story being hundreds of years before Jesus actually even came to this earth, it's a beautiful prophecy and picture. Uh, of, of, of Jesus, 
the Savior. This is this beautiful picture that we continue to get to, to live out as well. What love really truly is, uh, it is a choice. Again, it is attached to all of our emotions in these different ways and different shapes. And so when we're led by our feelings with love, we have to be able to reflect on our motives. We have to be able to share our intentions. And when we miss these things, we have the opportunity to be able to have humility in our life to be able to ask for forgiveness from those that we hurt. It's a great story that I'll end with. Uh, there's a, a young boy that made uh, a toy sailboat. Uh, it was his, his toy. He spent a lot of time on it. Uh, it was wood and it was uh, lacquered up to where it wouldn't sink when it was in the water and it was ready to be tested. And he took it to uh, the, this, this body of water and he put it there and it floated. And it was like, yes, it, it works. And then the wind picked up. And again, it was a sailboat with a fully functioning sail and it escaped him. It, it, it left. It started going way far, and he, he tried to, to run down the shore, tried to, uh, to get it back, and before he knew it, it was completely gone. <laughs> the boy went back to his house, and his parents are like, what? Where, did, it, did it not work? And he said, no, it worked too good. It's, it's gone, and uh, it was a bummer. He thought he had just lost his boat forever. Um, a couple weeks later, he walked into a secondhand store, and there it was. His sailboat was right there being uh, with, a, with a, a price on it. Uh, the, the clerk had, uh, somebody had found it and sold it to the secondhand store, and the little boy said, hey, that's, that's my boat, that's my boat. And the clerk said, no, no, that's my boat. I, I paid for it. Uh, if you want it, you're going to have to buy it. And the young boy reached into his pocket with his allowance money, and he said, how much? And he paid for it. And the cool thing in the story is, uh, as the boy was walking out, he had his boat, and he was just so happy. He said, boat, you're my boat. You're twice my boat. Once, because I made you. Twice, because I paid for you. And this is our story when it comes to how Jesus desperately wants us to know him and love him, this love as a choice, but when it's attached to our emotions, being able to actively live out giving our life, not taking others. And so I don't know where you are um, in your story, but the application uh, that you can get from uh, today is this. Uh, in order to actually actively be able to live real love, sacrificial love, love the way that we were created to experience and live it out, you have to first accept the love that was given to you, which is Jesus. God, your creator, and Jesus, your savior. And so if you've never welcomed Jesus as uh, uh, your savior, if you are would consider yourself spiritually disconnected, um, not knowing who God is, but not really knowing God in relationship, you have an opportunity this morning to know what true love is by welcoming Jesus in your life. Uh, that can just be a prayer, just being able to pray, God, come into my life. Forgive me of uh, my sin and, and, and be my Savior. <laughs> Buy me back. Uh, thank you for that. You can do that. You can pray that prayer. And, and then secondly, if you already know God, if you already you know, would consider yourself a, a Christian, you have this opportunity to not live life alone, not try to love in these ways that we uh, define it in Western culture, but biblically be able to actively live out love, and you can't do that alone. 
So you can welcome things like life groups, growth groups, uh, alpha. You can jump into areas of service to be able to give your, your talents and your time uh, to a team that's uh, right here at Grace. We partner with all types of incredible ministries all over the city uh, to be able to, to show love, active love, to a community that desperately needs it. I don't know where your story is, but here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray for your spiritual next step this morning or, the today, or today. God, we are, are so thankful for who you are. We're thankful for this, uh, this study of untriggered on our emotions and the ways that we uh, uh, have let our emotions be distorted and we've been led by those distorted feelings and emotions. God, I pray that uh, for uh, maturity, maturity in, in us, uh, that we could welcome what it is uh, that you have actually created in us, uh, these healthy emotions. Uh, but God, ultimately, we just we pray that we would continually be more reliant on you every step of the way. We can't do it ourselves. <laughs> and so, Lord, whatever uh, the spiritual next step is, those that, that, that are listening, God, I pray for boldness in them, boldness that they would step out and what it looks like to, to continually, actively uh, represent this love that you have created in us. So we give it all to you because you're awesome. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.